Welcome to Traverse Legal Radio, the Tech Lawyer Podcast, a show dedicated to helping entrepreneurs, CEOs, and founders navigate legal issues, grow revenue, and increase their valuation. This podcast is sponsored by the IP and litigation attorneys at Traverse Legal PLC. Visit TraverseLegal.com to learn how Traverse Legal's attorneys are changing the way law is practiced. Now, here's your host, trial attorney Enrico Schaefer. Welcome to Tech Law Radio. My name is Enrico Schaefer, and today we are going to be talking about software audits. It's a it's an issue that a lot of tech companies, a lot of software development companies don't really think a lot about, but they should. What is in your source code? Well, number one, I'm going to tell you what's in your source code is copyrighted lines of code. Who owns the copyright to your code? Now, there's a lot of different issues we can dig into today, but today we're going to be talking about some very important aspects of doing due diligence on your software code. And the, the best way to do that is to do a software audit. And that means to actually do a line-by-line analysis of your code to make sure that you are not violating any third-party copyright notices, that you have the rights you think you do in your code, and to try and resolve any issues that you find. Today we have Russell Gelvin. Russell is a licensing and software attorney for Traverse Legal. He is an expert in software auditing. Welcome to the show, Russell. Hi, Enrico. Thank you for having me back on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. So, Russell, let's talk a little bit about a software audit. What is a software audit? I mean, really, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. You're just taking a look at your code to make sure you're not violating anybody else's rights or violating any applicable laws or anything like that. Um, in the context of source code, you've got a lot of legal issues you can run into. We've all heard about emission scandals and things like that at uh, auto companies where they would have their code do you know, various nefarious things. That sort of thing is a little bit more difficult to look out for, but um, probably a more likely scenario that companies would find themselves running into are violations of open source or other third-party licenses that they might not even know are in their code. Um, Nowadays, it's, it's basically impossible to really write code without leveraging some open source tools. And for that reason, it's really important to at least give your code a check, especially if you're distributing it. I would say if you're distributing your code to any third parties, like for example, if you've got a, an application that you're selling to third parties, then I would definitely recommend a, a source code audit because upon distribution, you could uh, trigger a lot of really high-risk open-source licenses that, quite frankly, could end up in you losing any and all profits attached to your software. For example, if it turns out that you violated an open-source license and then, therefore, you're now in the territory of copyright infringement, it's very realistic to say that the, the person whose code you're using could come back and sue you and demand all your profits that you made off of that software because you've infringed their copyright. So let's just kind of break that up a little bit. You know, sometimes we'll get approached by a software development company and, and they're like, hey, you know, we've got this code. It's, we've been developing it for years. And one of my first questions, Russell, is always like, well, how many coders 
were involved in this project, right? And I can only think of one instance over the last couple of decades where in a complex software situation, the person said, just me. Typically, there's lots of people contributing to code or the company actually outsourced the development of the code. And what that means is they, you know, the owner of the company, the, the owner of the intellectual property that is the proprietary software may not know exactly where all the code came from. And if they work with outside developers, what rights do those developers have in the code that they uploaded into your system? If you have internal developers, where did they get the code? What, what did they use from potentially open source software in order to perform their job to get the code functionality that the company's looking for? So let's talk a little bit about that. Knowing where the keystrokes came from is critical, isn't it? Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, like you said, there could be tons of developers. You might even uh, have some offshore development companies that are you know, doing the work and then just sending you the code. If you get sent millions and millions of lines of code, how you can't just go through and read that by hand. That's impossible. So uh, as a manager or somebody running a business, you, you do have to worry, uh, are my programmers writing all the code themselves? So they might have gone and downloaded some of the code. How do I know that? Do I, do I have to sit there and monitor my programmers uh, all day long while they're writing code? And the, the simple answer is no, you don't have to do that because there are tools, there's even open source and free tools that you can use to sort of do a, a scan of your code, which will essentially identify a particular keywords or in the text that will allow you to identify a lot of your legal risks. So some of these tools are really powerful. Uh, one important thing they'll do is help you identify any copyright notices. And that's important for two reasons. A, if there's a copyright notice, that means that uh, somebody else might own the code and you, you might not have written that code. And B, a lot of the open source licenses are gonna actually require you to reproduce that copyright notice when you go to distribute your software. So, you know, we're all familiar with like terms of use and things like that when you put your app in the, the Apple Store or something like that. Some of these open source licenses would require you to maybe put in your terms or in the display screen in your app when it uh, starts up or something like that. Just a, an acknowledgement, just saying, hey, some of the code it came from such and such, you know, just giving them a shout out. And there is case law in federal courts that says that simply failing to put that copyright notice on your redistributions constitutes a breach of the open source license. And in some jurisdictions, you're looking at both damages for breach of contract and damages for copyright infringement, which can be significant. So it's easier, really, Russell, to take a look at your code once it's completed, once you've got those thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of lines of code, you know, go ahead and, and take a look backwards at what's in the code. And you mentioned the software tool. I know you run our clients uh, through a process where you take a look at, at, at the lines of code that are potentially triggers based on keywords to identify potential legal issues. So let's talk a little bit about that software tool. Let's say I'm a client, I have a um, software technology company, I've been in the market for a long time, but now I'm about to take on an investment round or I'm about to look for an exit valuation and I wanna maximize my valuation on exit. So one of the things I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go look for an attorney 
who specializes in software licensing and potentially even an attorney who specializes in open source to make sure there is no open source licenses my code because open source presents a whole special set of liability issues if you happen to have proprietary software. So I, I go out there and I, I say, okay, I found Russell Gelvin. He is a, uh, an attorney who specializes in these software audits and licensing issues. I provide you my source code. You're gonna run that through your software and it's gonna spit out what? Let me back up really quick. Um, I don't, I don't wanna say that it's better to sort of do the audit after you've uh, you know written millions and millions of lines of code because you might have created so many issues at that point that you can't go back and undo them. Uh, we've certainly seen that with some of our clients. Uh, that is like so. It's I would say definitely what you want to do is you want to have a policy in place. So you want to make sure you educate your employees just on these are the basic rules of how open source works. Here's a couple of open source licenses, the most common licenses, and you can tell them look. You know, these licenses are fine. Just make sure you document them. Make sure you keep records of which uh, licenses you're using. And then you can say certain licenses are not fine. Like for a distributed mobile app, you do not want to be putting GPL 3.0 code in your, in your binary for sure. Uh, so definitely it's something that you should start from the beginning. You should be mindful of from the beginning. And yes, you can do a scan of the code. But if it's millions and millions of lines of code, that can be uh, that could be quite a process. It's not undoable, but it could. You might end up with a lot of work uh, if there's thousands and thousands of open source licenses you have to sort through. Uh, so, coming up to the, the how a, an audit would work, like you said, the, you, what you'll do is you'll start with the source code. Usually, it's uh, easiest to just package it all together in a nice little zip file or tar file or something like that, and Yep, there are tools that generally run as remote servers that you can just upload your code to. You can download the software and set up one of these servers yourself. It's, uh, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's not, it's not like writing code from scratch for sure. Um, and once you run it through, there's a couple of different options that, of how you, know, you can have your information displayed. But essentially, the most important thing you're going to want to get is a listing of all the licenses. And the software is really good because it'll... It'll look for various key terms or words, you know, the, the, the names of the licenses, but also some of the key phrases that help identify the unique licenses. And you'll get a listing of all the open source licenses in your code. And from there, the first step is you need to identify if there are any problem licenses. So in the context of a distributed mobile application, you want to avoid anything that's going to be copyleft because copyleft means you have to make your own source code available to anybody you give the application to. Which, for So wait a minute, let me just stop you there. So a mobile application, I, I, mean, I developed this proprietary mobile application, right? And I'm selling it for you know, 99 cents a download on, on the App Store or through my mobile device download. And now you're saying I have to pr provide to the, to the end user not only the functionality of the application, of the compiled application, but I gotta give them the source code? Not only do you have to give them the source code, you have, they are allowed to do whatever they want with it, they can modify it, they can go build their own app, and then they can redistribute it and do whatever they want with it. So it's, in the context of proprietary software, it is not something you wanna deal with because 
your right to control your intellectual property, the underlying copyrights in the, the code and in the audiovisual displays of the, the user interface, that, that's, that's what you have value in. You spent all your time creating, creating that intellectual property. Um, if you're unable to control redistribution, if you're unable to control modification, then you're really losing your ability to monetize it. Yeah, so that's really important. So, okay, so I, I hire you as my attorney. You've run the, the software program. You've run my software through your software program to do this software audit. It spits out these results. Your next step is to I, tell, tell me where the problems might be, what the risk is in my code based on the output. I take it you're also going to tell me what my options are in order to reduce the risk or eliminate the risk from my code. Exactly. So my risk assessment is going to contain a comprehensive listing of all licenses identified. I will tell you how many instances of each license and uh, I'll tell you any terms or conditions you're going to have to comply with uh, that would be included in the risk assessment. And we'll basically try to take all that legalese and translate it into plain English, really short bullet points quick do's and do nots to make sure you're in compliance. That being said, there are gonna be certain open source licenses that you don't wanna just accept the risk for, the GPL, the AGPL, even the LGPL, under certain circumstances could have that, that copyleft trigger. So yeah, my first advice for distributed software is gonna be we need to remove all that copyleft code. There are various methods we can uh, employ using different legal standards. Uh, the simplest, of course, would be to just remove it. If it's something that's non-essential to the functionality of your software, you can just delete it. You can uh, you know, remove those libraries or whatever. Other options would be to reach out to the copyright owner, the person who wrote that open source code, and say, hey, can I have permission to use this under you know, a different open source license? I, you'd be surprised at how uh, willing a lot of programmers will be to you know, just give you a less restrictive license. I've seen that happen, and that's, that's really easy. And, Sometimes they'll do it without even asking anything from you. They'll just do it because you asked nicely. Uh, other things you can do is maybe the code isn't necessarily protected by copyright, and that's something where we would uh, work in detail with you. Uh, you know, just looking at the code, seeing if there's anything like, for example, it might be fair use. It might be so little that, that you know the code. They might have just written so little code in that one file that it's not going to necessarily trigger copyright protection. Things like that. So. We would definitely be able to work with you to get those licenses out of your code, and there's a lot of options. <coughs> it just really depends on how many you have. If it's, you know, if 90% of your code is covered in GPL licenses, that's going to be more difficult to monetize. Uh, but I mean, typically, if you're writing proprietary software, you likely would have written a substantial amount of the code yourself. Uh, so once we, we pull out all those copyleft licenses, we're just left with uh, less restrictive open source licenses, the Apache 2.0, MIT, BSD, these common licenses that don't have uh, those copyleft provisions. And from here, uh, the, the terms are not onerous, but you can still mess up. So there are certain things you're gonna have to look out for, for example, with the Apache license. Uh, if you file the licensor, if you sue the licensor, for patent infringement, any patent licenses you were granted with that Apache license automatically terminate, and now you might be liable for patent infringement. So things like that. The most, in, the most important thing you probably want to 
uh, keep in mind is you do need to reproduce acknowledgements of the copyright notices and the licenses for all those open source licenses you have left. So um, usually as like an appendix to my risk assessment, I'm gonna provide a document that you're gonna wanna attach or include in your terms for your software, or you, know, you could have it in your user interface, just somewhere where your end users are likely to see it. And it's just saying, hey, uh, this software may contain code from the following licensors under the following licenses. And we try to keep these acknowledgements uh, as clean and simple as possible, but sometimes you do end up with uh, several pages of just acknowledgements because you know, with open source code, there can be a lot of contributors and you're gonna wanna make sure that you acknowledge each one of those contributors. So this is, this is all really kind of basic to us as software and technology attorneys. It is surprisingly unfamiliar territory to technology companies. So when you were working with Ford, obviously they had a whole due diligence program uh, that they would run every piece of software through this process in order to make sure that they weren't taking on risk or managing their risk in terms of software licenses. Yet there are very few other technology companies who tend to be thinking about these issues. Why, number one, who is this going to be important to and why is it important? So I assume that if you're the software technology company, you're protecting yourself against potentially getting sued for copyright infringement or license violation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the, the owner of the software company definitely has an interest in making sure that they have the right to distribute, monetize, or whatever with the software they're developing. But quite honestly, from what I've seen, the people that really care about this are gonna be the investors, the people that are putting the money down. Uh, so these audits, I've seen them usually come up in merger and acquisition transactions where you know a, a, a hot new software startup has this amazing app and a larger company or you know just an investment company or something is either looking to invest in the company or acquire the company and they'll say okay uh what what is your policy for open source do you have any open source and sometimes uh, these software companies will be what do you mean policy for open source we we were just hitting the ground running. We, we were focused on developing. We were focused on growing. Like we don't have time for that. Like our programmers are working around the clock trying to get this done. Like we didn't have time to sit there and double check every commit to our uh, our GitHub server to see if there was any open source in it. Um, and I mean, rightfully so, because the investors are the ones that are like, if I buy a software company. And then a couple of months later, it turns out that they don't own anything proprietary. They get hit by a, a lawsuit for open source software, and all of a sudden they can't sell anything. The, the value of the company goes to zero. That's something I'm concerned about. And quite frankly, we're seeing more and more of these lawsuits. Uh, you know, just a couple of years ago, there was only a handful of these lawsuits or opinions on open source in the federal courts. Now we're pushing probably close to 100 cases. Uh, and that's probably all within the last 10 years. So it's only getting bigger and bigger. And just as people start to realize these, these, how serious some of these terms can be and the consequences of violating these licenses, I think we're gonna see more and more litigation and we're gonna see more and more concern just about open source. So if I'm the owner of the company or an investor in a company that is developing software, I want to complete a software audit at every stage along the way to make sure that I'm not 
uh, taking on unnecessary risk and giving myself a position, putting myself in a position to fix any issues as we go. If I'm an investor looking to put money into a software development company, then I want to make sure there's a software audit before I purchase so I know what I'm buying and whether or not I, I'm getting what I think I'm paying for. And if I'm purchasing a company that has any software that it's developed or any software that it claims as, um, as uh, providing value to the company, proprietary or otherwise, I want to do a software audit on a line-by-line -line basis of the code in order to make sure that, again, I'm not taking on any unnecessary risk and that I'm getting the intellectual property asset that I think I'm getting and I'm looking at more than just what the revenue from this software is, I'm seeing whether or not I can get sued for copyright infringement or copy left on a copy left basis uh, when I actually purchase the company. And this could be for not only companies that are software development companies, but any company that lists as an asset software. Absolutely. And to be honest, um, one thing, like, so as an investor, I would definitely just be looking out for, are they aware of open source? Have they, do they have any policy in place? Like, do they take this seriously? And to me, I think uh, when I see uh, software developers taking open source licensing seriously and understanding it, that just, it really shows a level of professionalism and just that they have together, they know what they're doing. So just as an investor, uh, having a, a startup or a software developer that's taken it seriously from the start, I think that that's a good sign. But even the best programmers, even the most conscientious developers, they make mistakes. Um, you know, I've done probably over a thousand audits already. Uh, and some of the best programmers, I've, I've seen them make mistakes where they'll say, hey, like, you know, they'll submit the request and they'll identify the license. I do my scan and they couldn't be it couldn't be further from the truth. Once you do a deep dive into the code, there can be any number of licenses because these projects have various contributors and in a lot of cases, open source involves the combination of you know smaller open source projects into one big project and then you're dealing with dozens of different licenses for every different smaller project. There, there could be a different license with different terms. Um, and what you gotta remember is when you go to download open source code, you know, the most common website you're gonna get your open source code from is GitHub, you'll have that, that license on the, the front page. It'll be, but that's really just the top level license. That's the license, the, that, that license applies to the whole package code you're downloading, but there are almost always, or very likely, there are gonna be additional open source licenses in the sub-modules, in the, the sub-components of that package, and each one of those licenses applies to, to whatever particular code it's attached to. Um, I've had situations where I asked the developer, you know, what are the licenses, and they told me there's no licenses whatsoever, and then upon further research, you know, we find some pretty high-risk licenses. Or, you know, sometimes they can just be confusing what licenses apply, uh, especially in the context of freeware licenses, a lot of the things you get from like IBM and Microsoft, it can be a labyrinth to just even figure out what licenses apply to what code. Uh, and then licenses are constantly changing, so you wanna, you wanna keep up to date, you wanna do annual reviews uh, for you know, open source that has been known to switch licenses. Uh, it's been, it's, we've seen cases 
where, uh, I mean, just one example is the Java runtime environment. That's been free since its inception, and now all of a sudden, Oracle has decided they're gonna start char charging license fees on that. So you can use the older versions of uh, the Java runtime environment, but any newer versions, I think after version nine, You've been listening to the Tech Lawyer Podcast, sponsored by Traverse Legal PLC, a law firm representing clients like you on matters just like yours. You can find the Tech Lawyer Podcast on most podcast listening platforms, including your home devices. Until next time, remember that good attorneys win for their clients. Great attorneys tell you up front how they're going to do it and how much it will cost.